Luke chapter 10, what we have there is 72 people, 72 that are never named, and Jesus sends them out. A chapter before this, in chapter 9, Jesus has sent the 12 disciples out. We do know their names, right? And they go out, but here in chapter 10, we have the non-clergy members, right? These are the normal Joes, the 72, and they are sent out. Maybe they've only been followers thus far, but the biblical pattern is that Jesus calls you in, and at the very same time, he calls you out. And so he says to these men who have followed him, uh, have gotten close to him, and have, have gotten to know him, and he's discipled them, he's healed them, he's blessed them, he's forgiven them, he's loved them. He says, this isn't the end. I need you to go out. And specifically to these 72, he says in verse 3, go your way, go your way. And their way was to very specific places. They had towns, they had cities, they had streets with names that Jesus said, I want to go to these places and I'm sending you out. I want you to go before me, go ahead of me so that when I come, You know, everything's kind of the groundwork has been laid. And so these guys are given a specific place to go. We are talking this whole month about going. And it's it's not a vague concept to go, right? We need to be specific. If Jesus were to show up, and you were one of these 72 guys, and he were to say to you, go your way, where would that put you? What town would you show up in? What street would you show up on? What address would you show up at? And more importantly, when you show up there, who pops up in front of your face in that place that maybe does not know Jesus? Get specific. The idea this whole year is CrossFit, to be fit for the cross, right? And this month, we're taking one of those eight things that Kevin has outlined that we're going to focus on this year, and we're going to talk about this month going, going. Um, And so what I want you to do today is to let's start off the month by being very specific. I want you to bring to mind that face that you just brought up and what is the name that's attached to that face. And I want you to hang on to that name as we talk and as we study together today. And so Jesus doesn't send out these 72 guys without uh, purpose. He equips them. He gives them uh, lots of things, but I want to focus on three today. He gives them work and he gives them words and he gives them a why. Now, Jesus, in these passages that were read earlier uh, by Ian, gives a lot of different instruction. And we could spend a lot of time, there are probably a lot of questions in your head, like, man, what, what is he talking about there? We could spend a lot of time on very specific issues, and uh, one of which is even, did these guys even wear shoes when they went out? Which, by the way, gets quite a bit of ink, of ink in commentaries, uh, believe it or not. Did these guys really wear shoes? I'm I'm not going to worry about that. Let's jump to the main things. And let's talk about work and words and why. So jump down to verse 9. That's where the first two instructions are. Verse 9 says, Jesus says, when you get to where you're going, here's what I want you to do. I want you to heal the sick. 
And then I want you to say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. First, I want you to heal the sick. He's giving them work to do. And that work to do is to heal the sick. Now, when you read that phrase, heal the sick, that probably brings some very concrete pictures to your mind. You, you might think that these 72 guys are going out and they are making blind people see. They are making lame people walk. They are making people who have uh, diseases and afflictions well again. And is that what healing means? Yes, yes, thank you. Thank you, Tim. Yes, sure, sure it does. Yeah, it was a trick. <laughs> but is that all healing means? Oh, probably not. There's probably a lot of other things that we can put under that healing umbrella. Think about what healing is if we were to define it. Healing is just simply going out and doing everything in our power to fix the broken things in people's lives. And we can probably all agree that all of us and people that we meet wherever we go as we go on our way are probably a little sick in some area or corner of their life. People are sick physically. People are sick in their thinking and they need to be corrected. People are sick in their financial state. People are sick in their relational state. And maybe what it means for us as we go out and Jesus gives us the task, as well as 72, to heal people. Maybe what that means is that we come alongside them and we say, what in the world can I do in this person's life to help them out? And by that, we heal them. And so the first question, as we go our way, right, um, and Jesus sends us out and we find people in front of us as we do this, as we show up at specific places, one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, how can I help this person? Remember the name that you just came up with. How can I help this person fix what is broken in their life? Easy. Okay, that's number one. Number two. Jesus gives not only work to do, but also words. That scripture again, it says, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And so Jesus gives words to these 72 disciples. Go out when you get in front of people in the specific places that you're going to tell them I'm coming. Now, little quiz. As Jesus was talking here, was this before the cross happened or after? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Before, yes. Yes, very good. Before. The, the message before the cross is a little different than the message after the cross. And the message after the cross we can find in the book of Acts. Uh, we've spent a whole year studying the book of Acts. If you remember way back in chapter 1, uh, Jesus is there with his disciples in the first uh, chapter of Acts, and more than likely these same 72 guys are a part of that mix. I have no reason to believe that they're not. The disciples are there. Jesus is getting ready to ascend, and he says to them, here's what I want. I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the implication is, as you go your way, here's the message. Now, there's an interesting study that you can do if you track this word witness throughout the book of Acts. And if you do, you'll find that it happens about 20 times. And the vast majority of those times, there's another word that pops up 
in relation to this word witness. I'm going to give you four examples out of the 20, and let's see if you can connect the dots here, okay? Jesus, uh, Peter in Acts chapter 2 says, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are, say it together, witnesses. Yes, Acts chapter 3. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, Acts chapter 10. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. One more, Acts chapter 13. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. When witnesses pops up in the book of Acts, there's another word that also pops up more often than not. Did you catch what it was? Anybody? Raised. There it is. It's over there. Raised. All those, all those other answers are probably correct. That's just not what I was going for. Okay. Raised. Raised. Every time these witnesses go out, what they talk about is that we saw Jesus die, and three days later, he was raised to life. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us what our words are when we go out. It tells us what we should be focusing on when we go out and people pop up in front of us as we go our way. And we need to get this right. This is Dusty Drake opinion time, okay? I think that we get close, but we don't often get it right. And we get close by saying things like this. Come meet Jesus. He did so much for my marriage. Come meet Jesus. I was healed I had cancer. Now it's gone. I was praying to Jesus. Come meet him. He made a difference in my life. Come meet Jesus because I can guarantee you if it weren't for him, my life would be in shambles. He changed my life so much. I want you to meet that savior too. Now, are all of those things valuable things to say to other people? Absolutely. But are they the core of Christianity? No, no. I have this cartoon that's been in every office of mine uh, since I started ministry. And these are Christians in the uh, Colosseum. Um, and there's four of them. And uh, it says, today's event, feeding Christians to lions. Okay. And I'll read the caption for you because you're not going to be able to see it. Um, there's a teenager in the back and on the left. Okay. And he speaks. He's chained to a rock. And he says this. Marcus said, do you want to join the youth group? We do lots of fun stuff. And he, I said, sure, what do I have to lose? <laughs> humorous, right? Why is that humorous to us? It's because nobody in their right mind, nobody, nobody would allow themselves to be chained to a rock and stay there for a chance to play some youth group games on Sunday night. No matter how much fun Stomp the Balloon is, you're not going to die for it. But yet, in the first century, we have example after example after example of Christians refusing to move from the rock that they were chained to, although they had every opportunity to. They refused. Why? Because of the resurrection. They witnessed the resurrection. 
They said, I'm not going to deny what I saw with my eyes, the resurrection. That's our message. That's the gospel. That's what we go out and proclaim, the resurrection. It's a history-changing event that will affect everyone's life. And so the question, as we go our way, and as Jesus sends us out and we find people in front of us, remember that name you came up with, who's what, what name is in your head? As they pop out in front of you, here's the second question. How can I help this person know about the resurrection of Jesus? How can I help this person know that he lives, that he died and he lives again, and that fact has made a difference in my life and it will in theirs too? These 72 go out with work to do and words to say, And then they return from their mission. I'm going to put verses 17 to 21 up. And these are kind of the most important uh, verses that are going on in this text. It says the 72 returned with what? Joy. Saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you. And All of those words just kind of give us a weird, you know, kind of, I don't know what's going on there kind of feeling. Okay, so what's going on here? The most important instruction Jesus gives them is found in these verses, and it's the why. The why. He gives them words. He gives them work. He gives them the why. And there are two different takes on these verses, and I believe that they can both be valid simultaneously. They go hand in hand. And the first way to interpret these uh, verses is that the disciples come back and they say, look, we drove out demons. And the emphasis is, look at what we did. Look at what we did. Emphasis on did. I mean, amazing. We drove out Demons. Let me let you in on a little secret. In chapter 9, when Jesus sends the disciples out, there's one thing that they couldn't do. Anybody want to take a guess as to what it was? Drive out demons. There it is. The disciples, the 12 guys that are closest to Jesus, could not do this. But these guys, we don't even know their names. They come in. They say, we drove out demons. How astounding is that? And it was like, have you ever been one of those projects where you get done with it and just the magnitude and the, the uh, outstandingness, that's not even a word, of it just makes you like, how was I even a part of that? How did we accomplish that? And, it, and it's exciting, but it humbles you at the same time. And I think that's where the 72 were. They're amazed. They're a part of something inexplicable. They're humbled. And Jesus' response to that, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. Now, that seems like a strange thing to say. It seems like a non sequitur, like it doesn't follow, but it absolutely fits. I want you to think of in that statement, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. In that statement, what theological implication is Jesus making? Think about that. Who says this kind of thing? When you are with your uh, buddies watching the Super Bowl tonight, and there's this, uh, uh, I hate to say it, but I mean even probably the best quarterback who's ever lived, he plays, 
and he throws a pass, you know, 50 yards long and hits the court of the end zone to some nameless receiver, and they win the 42nd Super Bowl that they're going to win. Am I bitter? Yes. Okay. Go Atlanta. All right. When he, when he does that, right, is one of your buddies going to turn to you and say, well, you think that's something I saw God throw once? Threw Satan right out of the stadium. No. No, you're not, your buddy's not going to say that. Why? Because that's what an insane person says, right? That's, that's what happens. And yet, here's Jesus. I saw Satan fall from the sky like lightning, from heaven like lightning. What is he saying? He's saying, I was there. I am God. And not only that, but he's also implicitly saying and ex, ex, uh, uh, exclaiming specifically I have authority and power over every evil in the universe. And so when you go out in my name, you're going out in the name of the creator, in the name of the person who has power over every evil. And that's why all this talk about snakes and scorpions and all that. And so it shouldn't surprise you when you're able to do incredible things and drive out demons and heal people and fix their lives, that should not surprise you because you're going out in my name. I have authority over all of that, right? Every headline I see nowadays when I log onto my computer can be boiled down to this. Every one of them. How can we fix the evil in our world? Right? However people define that, that's how I can boil them down. And here's Jesus in Luke chapter 10, kind of raising his hand. He's over in the corner saying, hello, I'm I'm the answer. I have the answer to all of the evil in the world. And we get the privilege of taking that news to whoever pops up in front of us as we go our way. Now, In these verses also, there's a warning and a command in verse 20 down at the bottom. He says, do not rejoice in this. In other words, don't rejoice that you're going out and doing all this great stuff and you have power over demons. Don't rejoice in that. And that brings us to the second take on these verses. The second way to interpret these verses is that the disciples come back and they say, look at what we did. Emphasis on we, right? And so this is a colossal pounding of the chest. It's like, you know, hitting the three at the end of the game in somebody's eye and, you know, doing this the whole way down the, down the floor. And so you can see how that's happened. The, the 72 are swapping war stories. They're all back from their mission. And they're saying, we drove out, we did this and this and this. And they're all high-fiving and they're chest pounding each other. And, and they're, they're starting the, I believe that we just won chant, Right. And Jesus says, in response, Hey, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Be careful. And the implication is immediately clear, right? He's saying, guys, hold on. Do you remember Satan? Do you remember that guy? Do you remember how he fell? Because he was pounding his chest too. He was saying, look what I did. Look what I can do. I don't need God anymore. And it led to his fall. Pride. Be careful, because if you continue in this path, Satan might end up being your teammate. In other words, if this is why you are going, in order to point the finger to yourself, 
then there's going to be a fall. It's important that we spend some time here because when we go out as Christians, going can be very problematic if we don't have the right why. I don't have to tell you that the world out there, unbelievers, most of them are pretty leery of us. For good reason, sometimes. Some of us, along the way, have gone out with the right kind of work. We're legitimately trying to help people. We've gone out with the right words. We're telling them the right thing, pointing them to Jesus. But we've gone with the wrong why. We've gone so that we can point the finger back at ourselves. And when I go out, and why is my accomplishment? If I go out so that I can prove that I'm a good Christian, if I go out and witness to people so that I can make God smile and earn some points so that I can get through the gates, if that's my motivation in going, then trouble is likely to come no matter what the outcome. And here's how it plays out. Maybe I go out and I'm successful. And lots of people decide to follow Jesus. Then pride sets in. Look what I did. Look what I did. And if I go out with this why of accomplishment to prove to God that, I, that I'm worthy of his salvation. And they reject the message. Now I have a whole different set of circumstances. When it doesn't work and people don't respond, at best, I'll feel like a failure, like God is disappointed in me, like he's going to reject me. And at worst, I will become a complete jerk to the very people that I'm trying to help. It's happened before. And so if I go with the wrong, wrong motivation and I go out and they accept Jesus, then pride is my temptation. If I go with the wrong motive and I go out and people don't accept Jesus, then Anger is probably my temptation. And I come back and I say to Jesus, hmm, they didn't, reject, they didn't listen to the message. They rejected you. Do you want me to call fire down on those nasty people? That's happened a time or two. Ask James and John. It's possible. And the world looks through the windows of the church and they see people who are either prideful or very angry at them because they did not accept Jesus. And is it any wonder that they're leery of us? See, if my going, if my why is to win people so that I can be valuable to God, then what will inevitably happen is that I will try to win at all costs and I will end up coercing people, manipulating them, pressuring them to making decisions for Christ. Why? Because if they don't make that decision, then I lose value to God. And it's a classic case of doing the right things and saying the right words for the wrong reasons. And the world is fearful, justifiably so. Because they don't want, at the end of the day, they don't want to be trophies. And you don't either. And so that leaves us in a dire place. <laughs> wow. So many, uh, so many of us have messed up motivations as we go out. What, what's the answer? Jesus gives it to us. Verse 20, he says, do not rejoice in this. And in that command, we get the right why. Why, why are we to go? Is it so that we can check some box to test whether we're, we're a real Christian or not? No, that's not the why. He says, there's a better way. 
Don't rejoice in what you've been able to do. Rejoice instead that your names are written in heaven. There's the better why. Have you ever had your name written somewhere? Uh, Back when I was growing up in my generation, it was a big deal to have your name written in the paper. Anybody? Had your name there a couple times? I have some plaques on my wall in my office that have my name on them, and they're displayed because they have my name on them. You don't care about them, but I do, because my name is there. In some very deep, dark corners around Fort Scott, uh, I actually have my name on, you know, a thing or two, and they're out of the way. You'll never find them, but I know where they are, right? Because they have my name on them. In the first century, you, you don't understand how big a deal it was to have your name written. Uh, even paper was so expensive that a list of names, even written on paper, was only reserved for city roles. And only then did wealthy and noble people get their name on the list. Landowners. And these 72 probably aren't that. And he says to these guys, who, by the way, ironically, don't ever get their name recorded in scripture. Isn't that amazing? It's almost like the Holy Spirit's putting all this together. We don't even know their names. Jesus says, don't rejoice in all this junk that you're doing. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven, that it is written. The word for written is in grapho, and we get engraved from that word. Your names are engraved in heaven. It means you're valuable, you're worthy, you're accepted, you're noteworthy in God's eyes. Why? Because you went out and you drove out some demons? No, because of me, because of what I'm going to do. And in our case, our names are written in heaven because of what Jesus has done. And that gives us a different motivation. Because if my name is already written That means I'm already valuable to God. I'm already accepted and the pressure is now off. And if I go out and I give my best effort in trying to bring people to Jesus and they do accept Jesus because of my efforts, that won't make God love me anymore. And if I go out and I try my best to get people to accept Jesus, but they say, no, he's not for me. And they reject That won't make God love me any less because I'm already accepted. My name is already in the book because of the cross of Christ. That has energy, right? That says to us now we can go our way and we can help somebody. We can love them without strings, without manipulation, without guilt, without fear, because our standing with God isn't contingent upon what people outside these walls decide about him. Do we want them to choose Jesus? Absolutely. Why wouldn't we? But at the end of the day, my value is because of Jesus not their decision. Jesus, after this, prays a prayer. He says, it says in that very hour in verse, uh, verse 21. Um, and I just want to paraphrase the prayer while you look at it. I'm going to paraphrase it. Jesus prays something like this. He says, God, I love the way your salvation works because it's not the people who think they're wise, who think they're moral, who think 
They've learned all there is to learn. It's not the people who go out and drive demons uh, away. It's not the people who go out and win a bunch of people for you. That's not the basis of salvation. But it's the people who know they're like children. It's the people who feel weak. It's the people who know they're not wise. It's the people who know that they could never drive out enough demons. It's the people who know that they can never win enough souls to you. It's the people who simply show dependence and say, save me, God, who get your salvation. So the question, as we go our way, the important, the most important question, as Jesus kicks me out and I find people that pop up in front of me, what's that name? Here's the question. Why am I going? What's my motive? Am I going to tell people about Jesus in order to become valuable to God, or is it because I already am valuable to God? I want you to remember that name that you've thought about this whole time. I'm going to call the band up and... um, this is uh, one of the privileges of being in second service because you kind of already know what's going on here, you know. We, we, there are pieces of uh, post-it notes sticking up all over the uh, auditorium, and that's, that's what we're going to ask you to do. We're going to ask you to take that name that has been in your mind this whole sermon. I want you to come up while the band plays. They're going to play a song or two. Write your name on a post-it note and stick it somewhere around the auditorium. And... Our rules for the next month, we're going to have these names in front of us because this whole month is about going. And our rules for the next month are the same as what Jesus gives to the 72. Let's go with the right works. How can I heal what is broken in this person's life? Let's go with the right words. How can I, how can I introduce them to a resurrected Jesus? And most importantly, let's go with the right why. Let's go because I've been given grace undeservedly, and I want to give what I've found. I don't have any agenda. There aren't any strings. And no matter what they decide, I will keep loving them. So I want you to stand. And um, one thing about these post-it notes they're kind of, they're stuck together. There's, there's a side to write on, right, on each side, and then they stick together and they pull apart, okay? So that's the uh, long and short of the post-it notes. And um, if you are, have nimble fingers and you can help peel those apart while people come and write, uh, I would uh, encourage you to help other people by separating them. There, there really nobody here that doesn't have a name in their head. And so we fully expect that everybody will come if you're physically able and write a name. And uh, you could even, you could draw a name for privacy's sake. If you want to write initials, that's fine. Uh, You want to do a little quick pencil drawing, that's fine, whatever. Symbol, you know who that person is. And would you come? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have given us the greatest message in the world. It's the message that it has, it's the solution to everything. But people will not know that message unless we go.
And Father, we need to go the right way. Would you help us to find our worth and our value in you so that we can go and we can love people unconditionally? And it's in that spirit that we write names and we keep them before us for the next few weeks in this place. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.